0: You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Hello, the Bible reading today is from the book of Romans, starting at chapter 9, verse 30, finishing at chapter 10, verse 21. What then shall we say, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. See I lay in Zion, a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. The voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people.
1: Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, it's good to be with you again. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's word. Oh, gracious Father, we uh, thank you for this opportunity that we have again to uh, look at this next part of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Uh, I just pray that you would give me the help that I need uh, to speak your word faithfully and clearly uh, and give those listening the help that they need. Uh, to listen to your word, uh, to humbly receive it, uh, to trust in it, and in particular to be moved to put their faith in Christ, uh, in whose name we pray. Amen. I-, I wonder if you ever have any problems with taking responsibility. As I was preparing my sermon this week, I found a website with all sorts of funny excuses given to police and insurance companies after car accidents. Uh, Maybe you can remember, uh, you can kind of uh, imagine what some of them might be like. I'll read you some, uh, some of my personal favourites. One is, uh, leaving home for work, I drove straight out of my driveway and into a bus. Why? Because the bus was five minutes early. You know, it's the bus's fault. Uh, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced across at my mother-in-law, and headed straight over the embankment. Now, let me say, there's no way I would do that, personally. I love my mother-in-law, but it was kind of funny. Uh, This is probably the classic. Uh, The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Uh, People just don't want to take responsibility. They were always shifting the blame, passing the buck, pointing the finger at someone else. Now, of course, that's one thing when it comes to a car accident. But it's a whole other thing where when it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to being a Christian, being right with God. I mean, whose responsibility is it if someone is not a Christian? If you were listening last week, you might say, well, it's clearly God's responsibility. No one becomes a Christian without God sovereignly and mercifully choosing them. Well, that's part one of Paul's explanation for why most of his fellow Jews are not Christians. It's because God has always chosen some people from within physical Israel to be a part of true Israel, of spiritual Israel. He chose Isaac and not Ishmael. He chose Jacob and not Esau. But Paul knows that this reality of God's sovereign choice might lead some people to sort of deny their own responsibility as human beings, even to blame God. He touched on this with that objection from back in verse 19, Romans 9 verse 19, where the person said, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But Whose responsibility is it if someone is not a Christian, if someone's not right with God? And in particular, whose responsibility is it if Israel isn't right with God? That's the question Paul's grappling with in this passage. And in today's passage, he says it's Israel's responsibility. Israel cannot hide behind God's sovereign choice as an excuse. They can't blame God. It's because Israel is not right with God, because they've tried to make themselves right with God by their own works, and have stubbornly refused to be made right with God by faith in Christ. So first, let's look at what I've called the paradox of pursuing a right standing with God. Uh, Chapter 9, verses 30 to 33. Take a look first at verse 30. Uh, We see there that Gentiles who did not pursue right standing with God have obtained it. Uh, Paul says, what then shall we say? Uh, That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. What then shall we say, Paul says, right? In response, uh, that is, to verses 24 to 29, the, the surprising inclusion of so many Gentiles in God's people uh, and the discouraging hardening of so many Jews. What shall we say, Paul says? What shall we conclude? Uh, well, the first thing Paul concludes uh, is that Gentile. There's actually no the in the original. So so Paul's are not saying all Gentiles, but at least some of the Gentiles. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. Paul's not saying none of the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, uh, were serious about pursuing moral living, right? Many of them were very serious about that. What they weren't serious about or what they didn't pursue at all was a right relationship with the one true God of Israel, right? That they had no particular desire for that, to, 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 to be declared innocent before God, to, to be declared righteous before God. And yet, despite not pursuing it, Paul says they've obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, right, right standing with God, that's given to them as a free gift through faith in Christ. So Gentiles who didn't pursue a right standing with God have obtained it. And paradoxically, Israelites who, uh, who rather, Gentiles who didn't pursue a right standing with God have obtained it, And paradoxically, Israelites who did pursue a right standing with God have not obtained it. Take a look at verse 31. Uh, But the people of Israel, that's most of the Jews in Paul's day, uh, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, which refers to the mistaken idea that, that obedience to the law of Moses could enable someone to attain a right standing with God. But Paul says that the people of Israel haven't attained that goal. Why? Because a right standing with God comes by grace through faith in Christ, not by works through faith in yourself. So in verses 32 and 33, Paul says the Israelites haven't attained their goal because they pursued a right standing with God by works and not by faith in Christ. Uh, look at verse 32. Why not, Paul says, well, why didn't they attain their goal? Oh, well, because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Uh, the words as if there uh, show that by and large, the, the Jews had misunderstood the purpose of God's law. They, tra- they treated God's law as if. It offered them a right standing before God by works, if they could just do a good enough job of obeying it. Of course, they didn't realise that because of their sinful and stubborn hearts, they could never do that. The Jews acted as if receiving a right standing with God was all about trusting in themselves and their works, when really it was about trusting in God and his works. In particular, his work of sending Christ his son, Christ his king, which is what the rest of verses 32 and 33 are about. You'll see there that Paul includes two quotes from the book of Isaiah. The words, see, I lay uh, lay in Zion a stone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Those words come from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. But it's a part of God's judgment uh, against the rebellious leaders in Jerusalem, leaders uh, who think that they're safe despite their sin. But in this verse, God says he has laid his stone his, in Zion, the, the stone representing his promised king, his king who will rule his people with justice and destroy his opponents. Right? The message is clear. The only safe thing to do is to put your trust in God's king, to to believe in God's king, to to bow your knee before God's king. If you do that, you'll never be put to shame in God's judgment. But between those two parts of the quote from Isaiah 28, Paul inserts, inserts the words, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They're from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. In Isaiah 8, despite all sorts of opposition, Isaiah puts his trust in the Lord. So so he's going to be safe from God's judgment. But but most Israelites didn't trust in the Lord. So they will stumble and fall in God's judgment. In Isaiah's day, the only way to be safe from God's judgment was to put your faith in God and in his king. But, and it's the same in Paul's day. But the tragedy is that most of the Israelites haven't done that. Instead of trusting in Christ, they have stumbled over Christ. Because as we see in chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, By and large, Israel was ignorant of receiving a right standing with God by faith in Christ and not by works. Take a look at chapter 10, verse 1. There we see that the Israelites' unbelief drives Paul to heartfelt prayer. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. You see, some people think that, that believing that, that God saves who he chooses in, in his absolute sovereignty, believing that uh, will, will drive you to, to a place of complete fatalism, you know, kind of saying, well, well God's going to do what he's going to do and there's nothing I can do about it. So what's the point? Right? But, but Paul says no. Right? Paul says but because we know that the God can sovereignly save absolutely anyone, uh, we should pray that he would do that. So Paul prays, especially for his fellow Jews, because in verse 2, he knows that they are sincerely jealous, but hopelessly ignorant. For, he says, I can testify about them, that they are zealous for God. Paul knows this from his own experience, but before he became a Christian. You can read about it in Philippians 3, verses 4 to 6. He was extremely zealous for God. Uh, But like Paul, his fellow Jews are are, are zealous uh, without knowledge. Their zeal isn't based on knowledge, Paul says. Their zeal is ignorant. Why? Because they don't understand the proper purpose of God's law. You see, being sincere or even zealous about your beliefs doesn't mean you're right about your beliefs. It could mean you're quite dangerous. Right? That's what we see, isn't it? We're with all sorts of religious and political zealots around the world throughout history. Being sincere and zealous isn't enough. In verse 3, where we see that the Israelites were zealous about trying to establish their own righteousness by works rather than by faith in Christ. When Paul says that the Israelites didn't know the righteousness of God there at the start of verse 3, he's saying that they didn't acknowledge the righteousness of God. They didn't acknowledge that God had acted justly, acted rightly in giving people a right standing with him by faith in Christ. Instead, they sought to establish their own righteousness by, by obedience to the law, by ticking boxes, by, by religious and moral performance. So, Paul says, instead of submitting to the righteousness of God, right by, by bowing their knee before Christ, God's king, receiving the righteousness that comes only by faith in him, instead of doing that, the Israelites tried to establish their own righteousness. Right, because verse 4, uh, they didn't see Christ as the culmination of the law, so they didn't put their faith in him. Now, what does Paul mean when he says that Christ is the culmination of the law? He means that the Christ is the end, the, the, the goal to which the law has always pointed. Why? So that there might be righteousness, Paul says, right? That there might be right standing with God. For who? For everyone who believes, right? For everyone who believes in Christ. That's what the law's always been about, Paul says, pointing people towards Christ, and they need to put their faith in him if they want to be right with God. So in verses 5 to 8, Paul explains that further, explains further how having a right standing with God has always been about faith and not about works. He does that by quoting and explaining two passages from the law of Moses. Leviticus 18 verse 5 and Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 to 14 with a little bit of Deuteronomy 9 verse 4 too. So in verse 5, Paul quotes Leviticus 18 verse 5. He says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by law. The person who does these things will live by them. It seems that Leviticus 18 verse 5 had become a bit of a proof text for those who thought they could establish their own righteousness. These are the people back in chapter 10 verse 3. Uh, they've latched onto this verse saying, see, <laughs> Moses says uh, that wholehearted obedience to God's law is the way to be right with God and live. And there's a sense in which they're right. right. Throughout God's law, we're taught that God is a jealous God who demands exclusive loyalty from his people, right? wholehearted obedience from his people. But where most of Paul's fellow Jews, fellow Jews got it wrong was in thinking that the God's demand of exclusive loyalty well, was something that they could actually do, that they could actually live by. So as Paul said in chapter 9, verse 32, they treated God's law as if it were by works, as if this righteousness by the law well, was the only thing that Moses offered them. But Moses also offered them God's promise. You see, the Jews had so separated God's law from his promise that when Christ, the fulfillment of God's promises, came along, they didn't recognize him. So Paul goes on to, to quote and explain Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 14. It's a part of Moses' final sermon to the Israelites. And Moses begins his sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 to 4 by explaining Israel's problem. Their problem being that even though they'd seen all God had done in redeeming them from Egypt, they hadn't really seen it. Their hearts hadn't been changed by it. That's why in Romans 10 verse 6, Paul inserts that quote from Deuteronomy 9 verse 4, Do not say in your heart... That's from a speech in which Moses warns Israel to never think of themselves as anything other than stubborn and sinful. You see what Paul's saying with these quotes? He's saying, yes, God's law demands exclusive loyalty from the Israelites. Leviticus 18, verse 5. But unless God changes their hearts, Israel will never do that. Right, they, like we, need a new heart, a circumcised heart, the heart that God promised Israel in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, right right before the passage that Paul quotes in verses 6 to 8. So in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, Moses says to Israel this, and now what I'm commanding you today, right, exclusive loyalty to the Lord, it's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. And we hear that, we think surely it is beyond their reach. Well, Moses continues in verses 12 and 13. He says it's not up in heaven, that you have to ask who's going to ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. And nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who's going to cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. And now Paul quotes these verses from the Greek Old Testament, the Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, which says descending to the deep rather than across uh, the sea. Right, but, but the point in both cases uh, is that there's no need to take a journey into the place of the dead, right, which was thought of as either being down in the depths or, or across the sea. Right, so, so Moses says, Deuteronomy 30, it's not that hard for Israel to understand and obey God's law. Why? Well, because of Romans 10, verse 8. Because the word is very near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You see, Moses says Israel can obey God's law, not by works, but by faith. Right? By faith in the word of God's promises are the word that is near to them, that's in their mouth, that's in their heart. Faith was always the response required by God's law, which is why even Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, was declared to be right with God by faith in his promises. Paul unpacked that in Romans chapter 4. And, of course, to put your faith in God's promises means, in principle, to put your faith in Christ who Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 uh, is the ultimate fulfillment of all God's promises. As uh, so we in verses 6 to 8, Paul, explain, uh, sorry, in verses 6 to 8, uh, Paul is explaining really the full meaning of Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Well, that's why at the end of verse 8, Paul says that the word that Moses preached in Deuteronomy 30 is ultimately fulfilled in the word that he and the other apostles are preaching now. So like the Israelites in Moses' day, the Israelites in Paul's day don't have to go up to heaven to, to bring Christ down, right? Why? Because in his birth, he's already come down. They don't have to go down to the depths to bring Christ up, because in his resurrection, he's already come up from the grave. In the preaching of the gospel, Paul says, Christ, the, the fulfilment of all God's promises, is near to you. All you've got to do is put your faith in him, and you will be right with God. Having a right standing with God, being declared innocent before God, has always happened by faith not by works. So in verses 9 to 13, Paul explains exactly how people can receive this right standing with God, how they can put their faith in Christ. In verse 9, he says, you've got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Whether the word that you hear with your ears uh, has to be believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth. Right? Not because believing and confessing are separate things, uh, just because, as Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Confessing with your mouth uh, is the evidence of believing in your heart. Uh, and Paul says you, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Right? Why? Uh, because you're convinced that God raised him from the dead. Right, declaring him to be Lord of all. And to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord is to believe that he's not only the supreme ruler over your life, that he's the supreme ruler over all the world. And in verse 10, Paul says, if you believe that, uh, you'll be right with God both now and forever. You will be justified which is to say God will give his verdict on your life, you will uh, have been declared right with him, innocent before him. Uh, so you can be assured that you'll be saved now and forever. Now maybe that just seems too easy, you know too good to be true to just to put your faith in Christ. But in verses eleven to thirteen. Paul says this free offer of salvation is open to anyone and everyone. But he takes part of that quote from Isaiah twenty-eight verse sixteen. But instead of saying the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame, he says anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Right, just to emphasise how inclusive this is—that this is for anyone and everyone. And then in verse twelve, Paul says. Uh, There's no difference uh, between Jew and Gentile. So in chapter 3, verse 22, Paul said uh, that there was no difference between Jew and Gentile uh, when it comes to sin, but for all fall short of the glory of God. And here he says there's no difference between Jew and Gentile when it comes to salvation. Why? Because the same Lord Jesus is Lord over all and he richly blesses all who call on him in faith. For as Paul says, quoting Joel 2, verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one's excluded from this. This free offer of salvation by faith in Christ is open to anyone and everyone. So we've been right with God, Uh, On one level, it is so simple, so so inclusive. Uh, Why is it that most of Israel are not right with God? Uh, That's what Paul Paul explains in verses 14 to 21. In verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul says, generally speaking, uh, these are the conditions that have to be met for people to be saved. You see there, he says to believe the gospel, uh, people have to hear the gospel, For them to hear the gospel, someone has to preach the gospel. And preachers of the gospel are just heralds of God's good news, heralds that must be sent. So at the end of verse 15, Paul quotes Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Right here In Isaiah's day, the heralds are proclaiming the good news of God bringing his people home from their political exile in Babylon. That was a beautiful thing. But even more beautiful, Paul says, for heralds of the gospel to proclaim how in Christ God is bringing home anyone and everyone to himself, all those who've been in spiritual exile in their sin. So from that list of conditions in verses 14 and 15, it's pretty clear that Israel hasn't been saved because they haven't believed. In fact, straight after Isaiah 52, verse 7, Isaiah goes on to his most famous servant song, as they're called. It's the song that's all about Christ, God's suffering servant king. It's kind of appropriate that in verse 16, Paul quotes Isaiah's lament from Isaiah 53, verse 1. "'Lord, who has believed our message?' He's saying, just like in Isaiah's day, that the message of the suffering servant king hasn't been believed by most of Israel. And it's not because they haven't heard the message. Paul makes that clear in verses 17 and 18. He says the voice of the gospel preachers has gone out into all the earth to the ends of the world. You might notice that Paul's quoting here, Psalm 19, verse 4. His point being that the just as creation proclaims God's glory to the whole world. So also the apostles have proclaimed the gospel to every part of the known world. Israel has heard this message. But in verses 19 to 21, we see that they haven't understood and believed this message. Why? Because they have been stubbornly Disobedient. Paul explains that with three more quotes from the Old Testament. First, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. In this little section of Deuteronomy, God says that because of Israel's unfaithfulness, they have provoked him to jealousy. So what's he going to do? He's going to pour out his blessings upon the nations uh, so that Israel gets jealous and angry and ultimately wants to come back to him in faith. And Paul says that's what God's doing now. Right? He's bringing all these Gentiles into the blessings of his people uh, so that in the end, most of the uh, many more Jews uh, would realise what they're missing out on and bow their knee before Christ in faith. Right? That's the first quote. And the second is Paul quoting from Isaiah 65, verse 1, which really takes us back to the very start of this section in chapter 9, verse 30. We've got these Gentiles who aren't even seeking God being found by God. And then third, Paul quotes Isaiah 65, verse 2. It's a wonderful thing for Gentiles to be found by God. But it's a tragedy for most of the Israelites who are stubbornly rejecting God. You see that there? All day long, God says, I've held out my hands to you, I've been ready to welcome you in. But by and large, Israel's been stubbornly disobedient. Israel has refused to bow their knee in faith before God's King, like before Christ. Whose responsibility is it if Israel is not right with God? In today's passage, Paul says it's Israel's responsibility. Israel is not right with God because they've tried to make themselves right with God by their own works and stubbornly refused to be made right with God by faith in Christ. Likewise, whose responsibility is it if someone is not a Christian? Right, if you're not a Christian probably well, it's your responsibility like Israel you can't hide behind God's sovereign choice as some sort of excuse right you can't blame God as a human being you're responsible. you're responsible for your own choices right including your choice of faith in Christ or otherwise so let me urge you if you haven't already done so, to put your faith in Christ today. In the preaching of the gospel that you've heard today, Christ is near to you. He's in your heart. He's in your mouth. Don't put off trusting in him because you're somehow blaming God or or blaming your parents or or blaming some past bad experience in the church. But believe in your heart today that Jesus is Lord. Lord, not just over all, but over your life too. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that the message of salvation, of being right with you, is so simple and so inclusive. So simple, all we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and so inclusive because that is for anyone and everyone. And I pray that that would be true of each one who's been listening today that we would respond to your word in faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.